Greetings and welcome back to the Clarity Podcast. This podcast is all about providing clarity, insight, and encouragement for life and mission. And my name is Aaron Santemeyer, and I'm going to be your host. Today, we have the phenomenal opportunity to have our friend of the podcast, Dick Foth, with us back for a session of Back Channel with Foth. And then we'll jump into our interview, uh, the gentlemen, Ed and Ken from Pure Life Ministries, and uh, have a great conversation with them. Dick, welcome back to the podcast. Thank you, Aaron. It's wonderful to see your smiling face. They don't know I can see you, but I can see you. (laughs) And, uh, and yeah, and uh, it's smiling. I I had to get a tooth pulled. So I've officially entered the uh, West Virginia uh, toothless category. So if anybody had an idea that I wasn't a West Virginian, now I'm toothless. And so they know that, uh, that I'm a true West Virginian. So anyway, good deal. Dick, first question I got for you. Have you ever been in a position where it was your dream job, but the culture of the organization was not the best for you? Um, if you, and then the follow-up question they have is if you had to choose, would you choose culture of an organization or your dream job? My short answer to the question is yes, I, I have had that opportunity, um, back in the day, this is, this is, um, 40 years ago, but many things are 40 years ago for me now, (laughs) (laughs) Uh, the, the word dream might be a little strong, but I thought that if I could be president of a small college, mm. could really shape young people's lives and so forth, that would be terrific. Yeah. Uh, two things uh, disallowed that in, in, a, in a way. One was that I walked into a situation where some of the recent history had been pretty toxic for several reasons. So that made it more challenging. And secondly, I thought if I went to be president of a small college that I could work closely with students all the time. And what I, what you really end up doing is working closely with major donors. Hmm. And hmm. The, the, the tagline for a college president is that someone who lives in a big house and begs. <laughs> so, <clears throat> so the, the idea of a dream job, um, unless, unless, you're an entrepreneur or a founder. You are always in a culture, not of your making. And roles can change um, much faster than cultures. So, you know, if you go online and say, what's the average number of jobs or positions that somebody holds in their lifetime today or in their working life? It's a dozen. Hmm. So you're going to, the average is a dozen. So, and, and I would distinguish also, just as a sidebar, I would distinguish between job, hmm. career, and calling. Hmm. So, you look at David in the Old Testament, and here you have a shepherd, yeah. a poet, a musician, hmm. a warrior, a king. Yeah. And um, so, if you had to choose, would you choose culture of the organization or your dream job? And I yeah. would say culture, hmm. because that's dominant. And roles can change, especially, especially if the culture is a de, is a development oriented kind of culture. And okay. by that I mean, if it's a culture in which the individuals within the culture um, are encouraged to develop, or mm-hmm. if there's a framework which encourages them to develop. Yeah. Um, I was talking to somebody the other to some businessmen on the West Coast some weeks ago and somebody said how do i how do i shape the culture of my family cuz this i do this this and this and i said well you know i don't know you but if you show me your credit card and your bank account hmm. and and you show me your calendar yeah. i'll tell you what your values are hmm. cuz you can tell me anything you want but yeah. where you put your money and yeah. where you spend your time creates the culture hmm. so that's the that's what i would say about culture and job Good deal. Good deal. And I liked how you delineated. You said call, calling, um, job, and what was the, the other? There's career. The job, career. career, calling. For sure. For sure. Because I've had a lot of jobs, but my career trajectory is, you know, is the is the larger piece of that. And calling yeah. is something that, that you do even if you didn't get paid for it. Yeah, it's good. Good word. Good word. Second question. How do you find out about the culture of an organization before you commit um, to them? 
two or three things, I think. One is uh, talk with the people who are still in it. It's good. That is, they're in that culture. They're going to give you the company line. Yeah. But the company line may, in fact, be the gray line. You don't know hmm. that. Yeah. Secondly, talk with people who used to be in it. Hmm. Now, unless they got fired, or <laughs> as we say in D.C., they were in transition. <laughs> um, you know, they'll, they'll give you something of a different perspective. or Well, maybe, maybe it'll be the same perspective, and hopefully that would be good. Um, I would say also in talking with the people in an organization, a company, a group, a movement, read their language. Listen to their language. How do they talk about things? Hmm. How do they talk about people? Okay. How do they talk about mission? Um, and then I would say talk to older people who are wiser than you. And, and older people may not always be wiser than you are. But talk to older, wise people from outside that culture yeah. of whatever group you're talking about who have observed that, that culture's trajectory over time. That's good. They may not be connected with it at all, but they, they could even be, quote, competitors in some way. Yeah. But they have respect for this, this and this. And they can tell you that. Yeah. Dick, you mentioned a question about how um, how they treat people or how the culture interacts with people. What, what's what's a reason that you would put that in the forefront? Say that again one more time. You mentioned you said when we were talking about a culture of an organization, you would want to find out how that that organization treats people or interacts with people that that work for them or, or serve in the organization. Right. What what would be a reason that you would ask that as first? I think it's a phenomenal uh, response. I just it, I would have never thought of that. Well, because you know, <clears throat> people talk about the golden rule like it's disembodied. But when hmm. you read it, it's Jesus' language. Okay. It's, it's, the, it's the one place he says in Scripture, do unto others, uh, treat others as you would like to be treated. All the yeah. law and the prophets hang on that. Yeah. Well, I always thought that passage, that phrase, all the law and the prophets hang on that, were reserved for love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, love hmm. your neighbor yourself. But he's saying this is how it, how it looks. Yeah. And I think, I think how you treat people um is is a mark of how you see them as being made in god's image it's hmm, good and it doesn't mean you can't be direct it yeah. doesn't mean you can't have standards it's quite the opposite hmm. if, if you really love people you'll tell them the truth yeah uh, you, you won't pull your punches you can your tone makes a lot of difference but yeah. Anyway, that's why I would say that. I think there's one other thing about that. I would ask the people in the group that you're thinking about uh, partnering with or joining, yeah. ask the leaders of the group how they would describe their own culture. Hmm. Ask them that. Hmm. Now, if they're older like I am, they may struggle with culture language. They say, right. what do you mean culture? You know, talk to me about the mission or the vision or whatever. Right. Well, Dick, always appreciate spending time with you, and it's always gold. We're going to go ahead and jump into our interview with Ed and Ken from Pure Life Ministries, where we have an a insightful conversation about how we can use the Bible as a basis um, for our sexual lives. And I really appreciated uh, Ed and Ken and their, their insight and their help um, as we explored this sometimes tough issue, but one that uh, we need to talk more about. So, well, there's no time better than now to get started. So here we go. Greetings and welcome back to the Clarity Podcast. So excited to be here today with two friends, um, just getting to know them a little bit, Ed Book. And Ken Larkin. I hope I said Ed's last name correctly. I uh, My last name gets butchered. Good deal. Well, I'm glad I got it. Gentlemen, will you go ahead and maybe just uh, take a minute or two and introduce yourselves before we jump into some of the questions? Uh, sure, I can start. Uh, as you said, I'm Ed Book. Uh, I serve here at Pure Life Ministries uh, in uh, Kentucky, where we're located as the vice president for counseling programs. 
And um, yeah, I don't know how much people would know about Pure Life, but the ministry itself has been here for over 35 years. Uh, It's a biblical counseling ministry that focuses on sexual sin. So we have a 75 bed uh, residential program and we do phone counseling with uh, men uh, who are uh, addicted sexually to any sort of sexual sin. Also uh, the wives uh, have an at-home program for wives as well a lot of other things but that's the gist of it great great ken could you just take a minute maybe introduce yourself sure my name is ken larkin again and uh i'm a counselor here at pure life ministries i've been here since 2005 i went through the program myself back then the residential program and i also uh am the director of intake so i deal with uh students that are wanting to participate in our program and getting them here for sure Ed, you mentioned um, you have a residential program, and did I understand correctly, it's for men, specifically for men, for the residential part? Okay. Yes, that's right. Uh, Specifically for men, but 25 beds, and we tend to run pretty full. Wow. Wow. And uh, how many years again do you say you've you've been involved in the ministry? Yeah. Yeah, uh, went through the residential program myself in 2004, and uh, so 17 years now. Uh, I've been uh, involved with the ministry uh, on staff for 16 years. Man, man, appreciate it. Very, very exciting. I wanted to just, uh, one thing that I noticed that was different is you focus on biblical understanding and why the Bible is so important And when we talk about struggling with uh, sexual temptation. Can you just take a few minutes to share why uh, the Bible is so important when we, when we discuss this topic? Sure. Um, one thing that comes to mind immediately when we think about this is uh, the scripture, 2 Corinthians, I'm sorry, 2 Timothy 3, 16 through 17. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, cor- for correction, for instruction and in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. So really, the Bible has all that we need. It tells us the origins of our sexuality. It tells us God's standard for sexual purity. It tells us the pitfalls of temptation and, you know, things to avoid and just how to live our lives in a way that's pleasing to God. So really, it's the authoritative answer, and it provides the ultimate answers. And it's really sufficient to meet the needs of anyone that's coming to us for help uh, dealing with any type of temptation. Very, 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 very important. And um, it's like I said, as I've, I've looked into Pure Life and got to hear um, from some friends about Pure Life, that's one, they said that's a, a distinctive of Pure Life is its biblical basis and um, the importance of the importance of the Bible when, when uh, we seek to be um, restored and cared for um, when it comes to sexual temptation and sexual struggles. So thank you, Ken, very much for that. Um, past, uh, past and current struggles with sexual temptation um, can be detrimental to someone serving overseas. Majority of the audience that's listening in today are, are living and working overseas, 105 different countries. Um, what are some common themes that you see um, as you care for somebody that's facing um sexual temptation and and some of these challenges? One of them I would say is isolation. If you're going out of the mission field and especially if it's a new work where you don't have a a large support system there, the isolation could be very uh, detrimental and provide new uh, opportunities for temptation, the loneliness. And that could be true whether someone's single and they don't have their spouse with them on the field or someone that is married, but just the pressure and the stress of the missionary life could, you know, lend itself to, to, uh, you know, maybe wanting to get that genuine uh, fellowship or that connection with other individuals in an illegitimate way. And, you know, then maybe pursue the avenue of sexual sin. Um, With that, I would say um, some cultures are more challenging because they're more sensual or they have more opportunities to potentially feed someone's flesh or give over to those lusts or desires. Um, we know obviously in our age, any temptation is only a click of a mouse away, but when the whole culture is really moving in that direction, if you're not really grounded and solid in your walk with the Lord, or if there's maybe in the past, they've struggled in this area, then they would be more susceptible perhaps to that Um, And I would say another thing, uh, believe it or not, would be um, 
the idea of pride, you know, the pitfall of pride. You know, a lot of times when we're working with the Lord, we can think maybe that we're either, either some, maybe some people look at missionaries of like elite Christians or some super Christian or whatever, but they're just human beings. You know, they're tempted like other people and maybe they don't realize, you know, they need to be beware, be alert, be sober. But the other aspect is maybe justifying their sin. Well, I'm doing a great work for God and he'll under, he'll overlook this or he'll understand. And in a difficult moment, maybe, you know, compromising. Yeah. And one of the things we see is sexual sin is a big stigma and potential shame behind it. So a lot of times, maybe fear of man, they don't want to admit that they're struggling, uh, that they aren't walking in the light and they're trying to do it on their own when God didn't, you know, he created us to be part of a body and we need one another. We need that mutual encouragement and support. And if you're not willing to walk in the light, you're not going to get that. You're going to be on your own and you're going to be an easy target for the enemy perhaps in that situation. And you said that there's a genuine, there's a genuine desire for connection. I, I can't remember exactly how you said it, but genuine desire for connection, but it's the way we go about it that's detrimental. Could you just take a minute or two and, and just share about the genuine desire and then some of the detrimental ways we go about it? Well, God created us to be social beings. We know in the garden, uh, God said, it's not good for man to be alone. And he brought the woman, instituted marriage and the family and society. And we're social beings. God, even God himself, we know, is, you know, the triune God. He has, he's a social being, even within himself. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit have that wonderful fellowship. And we were created to have that. And if you're not getting, what you know, this basic human desire met, even need, I would say, in a godly way, then it's going to be very easy to try to fulfill that in, a, in an ungodly way. And a lot of times, even the devil's temptation isn't to do something that God forbids, but to do it or get that need met or that desire in an illegitimate way. And that's where sexual sin comes in. Wow. I appreciate that very, very much. Do you see, Ed, do you see the enemy changing, the enemy of our souls maybe changing tactics? Um, you know, I, when I went to the mission field, I thought the enemy came to come and to make my life a little bit difficult and to make it a little bit uncomfortable. But, you know, he comes to kill, steal, and destroy. Um, do you see him changing his taxic, tactics or, or the same tactics common and frequent um, that you're seeing um, in this day and age? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, you know, I'm reminded of what scripture says, really, that the, there's nothing new under the sun. And so I'm not, I, I don't think the enemy's tactics have changed all that much. He still gets us to question God's word, uh, to suspect that God's character isn't really good, that somehow, you know, God's withholding something good from us. Uh, gets us to believe that we can have uh, the pleasure of sin without the wages of death attached to it, you know. Uh, so those tactics have been working really well, and I think he's sticking with them for the most part. <laughs> yeah. uh, but there is a change, and really what I see, I, I would liken it to a change in the uh, sophistication of his weaponry, and, and specifically, I guess, technology would come to mind, you know, when you deal with sexual sin. The, the advances we've seen in technology in the last 15, 25 years, years have, you know, given such uh, so much greater access uh, and, and easier access to pornography and, and other forms of sexual sin makes it easier to just connect with people who do, do our hookups and things. Um, and, and, you know, when Pure Life was founded back in 1986, uh, people still had to go out of their way at that point to get sexual sin. And, that, you know, but somewhere along the line here more recently, you know, it's just become quick, easy, plentiful. Uh, and the, the degradation that we see in the cultural standards, uh, you know, a person doesn't even have to feel dirty or abnormal anymore when they're involved in sexual sin. Hmm. And Ed, do you see it across the general age range, or is it, is it younger men, older men, or is it kind of equal spread across the spectrum? Well, it, it's definitely spread across the spectrum, but uh, the younger uh, people are, the deeper they've plunged into it. Uh, it's starting at much, much earlier ages. You know, when I first started counseling six, eight years ago for Pure Life, um, the uh, average age of exposure to pornography was 14, and then it dropped to 11. And I just saw uh, a, a statistic the other day that now it's eight, eight uh, at age 
eight uh, people are exposed for the first time. So, you know, things are starting much younger and the, the genre of, uh, pornography and, and things that are available is much darker and, and more perverted than ever. And so people are discovering all of those, uh, you know, kind of fetishes and perversions at a much earlier age. So it's got a real grip and a darkness uh, on them. Wow. Sobering, um, a sobering, sobering point. Um, for leaders, maybe that maybe of a leader of a team or somebody that's serving on a team overseas or maybe in the United States, um, they're caring for someone on their team or maybe in their organization and um, that's struggling with sexual temptation. What have you found that helps them maybe speak both truth and love? You know, um, sometimes I think our truth and grace, I think sometimes we can be graceful and not a whole lot of truth. And then sometimes we can be so heavy weighted with truth that there's not some grace there. Um, what have you found that, that helps people when it comes to that? That's a good question. The scripture that comes to mind was Galatians uh, 6, 1 and 2. Brethren, if a man is overtaken in a trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness considering yourself, lest you also be tempted, bear one another's burdens and fulfill the law of Christ. And one of the misunderstandings that could happen, uh, it is, it's really some of it's through our culture, is that you can think, well, if I'm really confronting someone or really speaking the truth, I'm not being loving. But I would say at the opposite, the person who loves you, it's been said, tells you the most truth. If someone's getting ready to fall off a cliff because they've been dabbling with sexual sin and ready to shipwreck their faith and you don't say nothing, that's not love. Hmm. So really the greatest loving thing we can do is in gentleness and humility, be willing to confront them about, you know, concerning their sin and deal with it. Call it what the Bible calls us sin. And the tremendous thing in that is like, okay, now they're not a victim or now they're not, you know, hopeless but if it's sin jesus came to save us from our sins so now there is a way out and you can come alongside them and walk with them through this process of repentance and restoration very very good point very good point i, I think that is the struggle though sometimes as leaders as you, you pointed out we we think of if we confront somebody, it had confront seems to have, at least where I grew up, it had a negative connotation. You know what I mean? If you're confronting somebody or is there, and, and you just, you're hesitant to do that. And, um, and I think you, you both, you gentlemen mentioned too about missionaries. Sometimes we, there's some pride there and um, you don't want to, you don't want to confront another person that's involved in the ministry. And, but as you said, if we love them, um, we will have the courage um, to, to have that conversation and get past those few seconds of awkwardness um, in the beginning. And some leaders, you know, it's awkward or maybe difficult for them to talk about sexual temptation. Um, maybe it brings back um, and even to talk about sex. Maybe it brings back maybe struggles they've had in the past or maybe it's um, they just didn't grow up talking about it. It's something they, they don't feel comfortable. Um, can you share how? leaders maybe can push through that awkwardness to care for people that they're leading um, and those that are responsible for? Sure. Um, you know, uh, there, there's no fix for the awkwardness really, but, but we do need to push through it. And one of, one of the ways we often use here in our own ministry, and, and it's right in our name, it's a pure life ministries. You know, we put the emphasis on the purity, not the sexual sin mm. uh, sometimes. Um, but, you know, for leaders out in the field, you know, one approach might be to just kind of sit down and review the statistics on sexual yeah. sin. You know, it's a huge problem in the church. It spreads across all denominations. Um, I was just looking at some of this the other day and, and saw that, you know, 64% of Christian men, 15% of Christian women view pornography at least once a month. Hmm, uh, wow. 21% of Christian men acknowledge that they actually might be addicted to pornography. Uh, and 37% of pastors have said that it's a current struggle for them. Wow. Uh, so those are all, you know, relatively up-to-date statistics I think, and it tells us the scope of the problem. So when I'm sitting there talking to a group of people or, or my people, even as a leader, I'm saying, you know, statistically, some of you are struggling and I want you to not be afraid to talk to me about that, you know, and I'm just kind of opening that door to conversation uh, that way. 
Um, I think ultimately, uh, Ken was kind, of, was kind of alluding to some of this. That, you know, we have to just remember that the wounds of a friend are faithful. And if mm-hmm. we really love others, we do speak the truth, even painful, uncomfortable truth. Uh, you know, and I need to just keep the focus off of me and my feelings and my awkwardness and look at their need. You know, this yeah. person's in trouble. And if I don't speak up, if I don't say something, uh, this could go unchecked in their life and it's not going to get better on its own. Um, so that usually, you know, can help compel us to push through that awkwardness. Um, and, and just, you know, I'll say, too, I think, frankly, uh, you know, the more blunt we can be in our conversation, the better, really. Mm. Um, if we're going to go into the subject, just get both feet in and dive right <laughs> in and use biblical terminology for it. Uh, ask pointed questions. You know, the brighter the light is that we shine on this, uh, the more we're, you know, getting rid of that darkness and the stuff that's in the shadows and the secrets. Wow. And you shared uh, about the the reality that the the pornography and things are becoming more, more dark and, uh, and deep in that for a leader, maybe they they're maybe they're concerned about asking questions about it because they don't know how to process what they're going to hear. Uh, maybe the darkness of it or that part. Is it valuable for them to maybe find a counselor or someone to talk about um, what they've processed with some of their team members? Or I don't know. I'm just I'm, that's a question I didn't propose, but I've just as you shared, I, I've thought about it. So, yeah, uh, I mean, it's probably good to have access to someone who maybe, you know, has some experience and, and some depth of knowledge in the field, uh, but it, it wouldn't be essential. You know, okay. people, I, I find people confess all sorts of things to me. You know, that's one of the things that that I really stress when someone comes into our residential program. Don't leave here without getting a perfectly clear conscience. Make sure you've confessed everything, whatever it is, however deep it goes, make sure it's been brought to the light and and that the enemy can't keep tormenting you Mm. with this secret uh, sin in your life. Um, And uh, I find that the Lord gives me, uh, I don't know, just a a Teflon coating or something, you know, that just, uh, it doesn't stick. It doesn't affect me. You know, I'm doing his work and, and setting others free. And he protects us if we're the counselor or the the one hearing all of that stuff. He'll protect us in it. Good work. Thank you for the encouragement very, very much. Does, does someone sexual, someone struggle with sexual temptation? Does that ever end? Um, is there, I think sometimes we want to get to an end point and say, I, I've, I'm over this, I've conquered it um, and move on. Does it ever end or is it something, it's a lifelong battle? Yeah, that's a that's a great question. I remember when I was a, a student in the program here back in 2004, you know, I, I wrote a letter to a pastor uh, uh, that I knew from back in Pennsylvania, where I lived at the time. And, uh, you know, he responded to me with some some really good wisdom. He, he wrote something back along the lines of, you know, you sound like you're expecting to achieve a place where you're no longer tempted. And he said, Jesus never <laughs> arrived at that place. You know, very, he was very tempted. Very good point. And so the reality is, and we should just, you know, cross that bridge in our minds. Yes, we're going to deal with some level of temptation. And once we've crossed lines sexually, you can be sure you'll continue to deal with some level of sexual temptation uh, for the rest of your life, most likely. Uh, But uh, there's a lot of hope because it does get better. You know, Hmm. we're used to temptation. Those of us who have had, you know, background in it, uh, we're we're used to it being overwhelming and Hmm. Constant, and it doesn't stay that way. There is a place of victory where, you know, I often talk about high tides and low tides. You know, uh, I've 17 years now. I've been walking out of my sexual sin and, and away from. You know, I've been away from it, uh, but I still have those high tides now and then. You know, where the temptation is really strong or powerful. Uh, I'm not immune to that, uh, but those seasons have gotten, you know, even the intensity of the high tide is is lower than it was, and the 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 low tide periods are much much longer than they uh, used to be. So there is a lot of hope that it does get better, even if it doesn't go away. Yeah, thank you for the encouragement, very very much. 
What are some some of the reasons that focusing just on behavior modification is not effective? I think as we talk about this, does it ever go away? So, uh, you know, is there we can just modify all our behaviors and then we'll never struggle with sexual temptation. Is that a reality or what's yeah about this behavior modification? No, um, one of the things with behavior modification, it doesn't really go deep enough. It deals with the surface, the actual behavior the fruit, but it never gets to the root or the source of the problem. Mm. And we know, uh, especially when we're, you know, as believers, that true change begins in the heart. It's an inward thing that has to happen. And unless that happens, you're never going to find true freedom and lasting freedom because you've never really dealt with the source of the problem. So from a practical standpoint, why is it not effective? You can keep cutting off the fruit all day long and you should, you should change your ungodly behavior, put it off. But if you don't deal with the fruit, the fruit's just going to keep coming back. Yeah. Um, And I thought of the scripture where Jesus confronted the Pharisees and he talked about the inward life versus the outward life. In uh, Matthew 23, he says, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you clean the outside of the cup and dish, but the but inside you're full of extortion and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisee first clean the inside of the cup and dish that the outside of them may be clean also. So you need to deal with the real core issue, which is heart issues, because otherwise the next time a temptation comes along, eventually you're, you're probably going to succumb to it because you're still desiring it in your heart and your life's been moving in that direction. Yeah. So it's a both and it's the behavior modification and dealing with the, the if I hear you correctly, dealing with the yes. real problem and, uh, and it's a both and, and Ed is can leaders, you know, if maybe somebody leader, they're, they're somebody to care for, somebody that's on their team, somebody they're they're walking with, um, it, can they help somebody discover the root, uh, maybe the core um, it, thing that they're struggling with, or is this more for something for professionals and leaders should maybe veer away from helping somebody find go deeper into what the root problem is? Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, you know, you touch on on what's really, I think, a, a misnomer in our society that that. Uh, you know, the average pastor doesn't have the adequate tools to help uh, people in the body of Christ, that, that somehow there's uh, somebody more professional needs to help. But, you know, as Ken was just alluding to, the real issue is a heart condition issue. And so, uh, you know, I don't know anyone who's better equipped than a pastor to deal with heart issues if he's using the Bible as his uh, manual for that, you know, honestly. And so, uh, so we all have that authority as pastors, as leaders, uh, you know, I would even say responsibility to help those uh, that are under us, help those in our congregation, whatever that is, uh, to, and especially help them to see their blind spots, because that's, that's, nobody can see their own blind spot. And if somebody doesn't care enough and come alongside uh, and help reveal those things, you know, they go unchecked. Um, and, and, uh, I think you ask, you know, how can a leader kind of do some of that? It's it's not really, I don't think, as difficult as we tend to make it. Uh, I, I think the foundation of it is good communication. Uh, it's listening and, and discerning what's happening in a person's heart as I'm talking to them. Because, you know, scripture says out of the heart come the issues of life. So whatever they're saying and, and doing in some measure, uh, it's revealing what's in the heart. I just need to to be paying closer attention to it and it's probably getting revealed in in the little things that that I might you know kind of cringe a little bit internally if I hear it but but I just kind of excuse it or shrug it off you know it's it's just a small thing maybe maybe there was a twinge of bitterness that I picked up on or or this person just sounds like they're bucking their authority a little bit here when they're talking uh, maybe there's some unforgiveness you know there's a grudge that I'm detecting they're holding against someone something like that an area of disobedience in their life that they just don't seem to see as very important and and kind of shrugging it off uh, themselves even um, people will bristle at um, being accountable you know but the, but they show up in just little ways that that uh, but when you take the whole collection of what you're seeing and hearing there are some strong indicators usually of what's going on in a person's heart that we want to deal with um, and uh, yeah so um, 
Not sure if I should try and add more to that, but no, but so sensitivity, what I heard you say is being sensitive to the, it's not just a a major large thing, but being sensitive maybe to the, is God, as you're talking to somebody, God gives you understanding and being sensitive to that. Is that something you grow in? Um, Both of you gentlemen, um, you know, this is, you serve in this area um, and have a lot of expertise and experience, Um, but for somebody that's just, this is new to them. Can they cultivate that sensitivity? And is that something that will grow over time as they, they walk with people? You know, that's a, that's a great question. And, and absolutely, it, it can be cultivated, is cultivated. You know, even Ken and I, we've been doing this for years, but we still go to counseling conferences, biblical counseling conferences, and uh, read certain books and things like that. You know, it just freshens us. And yeah, maybe you pick up uh, something that you uh, didn't see or notice before. So, so you definitely want to prepare yourself. Uh, but the Bible is your main thing. You know, if you're staying rooted and grounded in the word of God, uh, that's what the Holy Spirit will quicken and use to help you the most in those yeah. uh, kinds of scenarios. Very good. Very good. Kind of shifting a little bit of a focus. Um, how can leaders care for someone that's been impacted by sexual sin? I think you talked about the residential program you have for, for men, but then spouses and females that it's sometimes in my experience growing up in the church um, and working one, I've worked with specifically men. Sometimes the females, they can either get blamed or they can be negatively impacted. And there's not, there's at times cannot be care for them. Um, How can we, how can we grow in caring for those impacted and um, maybe struggling with the question, how could God let them, let this happen to them? And, And then maybe in their marriage, how could, how could a good God let this happen? Could you, could you maybe just share some wisdom and insight on that? I'll certainly try. Uh, You know, the difficulty is that there's really no one size fits all answer to this. You know, the circumstances of someone's sexual sin are very different. So the consequences are going to be different. Sometimes the impact then is different for for the wife or whoever. Uh, you, You know, it's not at all unusual for a wife to end up asking, you know, how could God let this happen to me, though? And and the the, um, at the heart of all of this, I would say, you know, the thing to to do is I never want to minimize someone's pain, uh, but I also can't leave them just floundering and focused on their pain. You know, God is sovereign. God's still involved. He wasn't caught off guard here. He has a plan. uh, And and when we look to him, you know, there's still reason for hope here. And, And that's like the testimony of everyone that ends up coming into pure life. It seems, you know, sooner or later, we realize that God literally can take like the worst things that have ever happened to us, even the worst things we've ever done ourselves and turn them and use them for good so that it's like better for us that these things happen than if they had never happened. And, mm-hmm. and, you know, that's, uh, we've got, you know, some testimony videos of wives on our website and, and others. And, and that's their testimony is like, God ended up giving us through this trial, through this difficulty, more of himself. And I have a closer, better relationship with the Lord than I had before I went through this. And, and if we uh, really concentrate on that message, that there's a lot of hope, uh, you know, it doesn't minimize their pain or where they're at today, but keeps them focused on, you know, there is light at the end of this dark tunnel for him. Sure. For sure. Um, and then kind of shift and focus back. Um, what are some some steps that someone who's hurt others, um, what can they do? A man maybe who's hurt his wife or his his children or his family. Is there some steps that they can be, take to seek forgiveness? Um, yeah. And then maybe and how to overcome maybe some if they're struggling with shame because of what um, has transpired. Yeah, I would say, first of all, just to recognize that all sins ultimately against God first of all, they really need to repent of their actions before the Lord. Hmm. It's interesting that David in Psalm 51 says to God, against you only I have I sinned. And he committed adultery and he was complicit in murder, but hmm. it was ultimately against God. Hmm. And that being said, yeah, they need to be the, the bridge builder. Since hmm. they have damaged these relationships with their loved ones, they need to be the one to humble themselves and go and seek that forgiveness. And really acknowledge their sin. No blame shifting. Don't blame the spouse or anyone else. 
circumstances, but take full ownership for what they did and call it by the biblical name, you know, adultery or whatever the case may be, and then ask for forgiveness, seek mm-hmm. to restore that relationship, and then really begin demonstrating the put on of mm-hmm. loving and, you know, caring for the people that they have hurt and show mm-hmm. the fruit of repentance, not just saying, I'm sorry, but please forgive me and really seek that change. Mm-hmm. And, and, and shame, is there some steps for overcoming maybe the shame? I think really the ultimate thing with shame is you need to bring it to the cross. In other words, mm-hmm. Jesus not only paid the penalty for our sins and took away our guilt, but he bore our shame upon the cross. Mm-hmm. He was humiliated. He was you know, hung there naked. He was a, condemned as a criminal and, and took all the shame of our sin upon himself. And God can help us to work through that as we understand that he took our shame and our guilt that we no longer have to carry that. Hmm. Now, I would, I would say this, yeah, there's no shame or guilt for confessed sin once the Lord has cleansed us and washed us clean of that. But it doesn't nullify the fact that there still might be temporal consequences for your sin. Hmm. Some people, you know, I hate to say it, but we've seen some guys go through divorce because they finally come to repentance, but they've hurt their wives and families so much. It was like the last straw. They, they couldn't, they just couldn't do it. They Hmm. couldn't continue in the relationship. Some guys have to go to jail. Hmm. We've had guys go through our program and because of crimes they committed before they came later on, they ended up going to jail. So, you know, you can be clear and you can be free inside from that shame and that guilt, but there may be consequences for our sin. Hmm. Word. Good word. Um, you know, our culture seems to be changing maybe perspective on the Bible and, um, you know, and the way we people see the Bible. Um, has your perspective changed, Ken, has your perspective changed on sexual temptation maybe in the last last few years? Or, yeah, has God been showing you anything differently or, yeah, just a, just a question on, on that? I think a lot of it is things are more clear than they have been in the past. But one mm-hmm. thing I would say for sure is I used to think naively that true freedom was never being tempted again. Wow. You know, I will never have a lustful thought or, or whatever that might be. But we know the scriptures talk about there's war, constant war between the flesh and the spirit going on. And we still have a flesh. We still have something within us that innately is drawn toward evil. Hmm. And if you're used, and if in the past you were habituated to some type of sin, like sexual sin, it shouldn't be surprised if once in a while that flesh rears its ugly head and wants to do something, you know, Mm. that would be sinful. Um, So that being said, I would say um, temptation itself is not a sin. Mm. It's when our will consents to it, that it becomes sin. Mm. So not to feel condemned if you're tempted, but no, I can say no to that temptation and through the grace of God, he'll give me the power by his Holy spirit to say no. And I don't have to go there. So, so victory is saying no, not being tempted, but learning not to give in to that temptation. And it's a progressive work. It's a sanctifying work. It's not a, it, it's not a one and done type thing. It's a, it's a lifetime work, you yeah, know, for sure. And then another thing I would say is there's always a way out, you know, first hmm. Corinthians 10, 13, no temptation has overtaken you, but such as is common to man and God's faithful. I'm paraphrasing. He always provides a way out. You don't have to give in to that temptation. Yeah, for sure. And then the other thing I would say with temptation is we're responsible to minimize the influence of the world, you know, make no provision for the flesh. Don't put yourself in harm's way. Hmm. Uh, Don't give place to the devil. You know, that could include radical amputation. Hmm. Someone maybe has to get rid of their smartphone, whatever it might be, you know, just different things you can do from a practical standpoint. You don't go to certain places that, you know, are, you know, conducive to lust. Hmm. You don't, you know, maybe use unfiltered uh, internet. You know, I love Billy Graham had a motto in his life, never be alone with a woman that's not his mm. wife. Yeah. You can't commit adultery if you're not with someone, you know, so those, <laughs> that's radical amputation, you know. Yeah. So we need to do our part. God is willing to keep us. but We need to cooperate with him in this process of repentance and change. And you bring up Aaron. That, you, go ahead. Ed. I'm sorry, if you don't mind, I'd like to chime in on that in a broader sense of, you know, perceptions that have changed uh, for me uh, as I was listening to Ken, it just what reminded me, uh, I came out of a same-sex attraction uh, background uh, and, uh, you know, I 
came to Pure Life even uh, thinking that I was going to somehow have my orientation changed from a homosexual orientation to a heterosexual orientation. And, and that was one of the things, and I feel like it's probably worth mentioning for, for people who may uh, be struggling with that concept out there, that, you know, my experience and our experience here uh, in decades of ministry is that uh, God can and occasionally does literally change someone's orientation. Uh, but that is not the norm, and it's very mm. rare if it happens at, at all, honestly. Uh, and so what we l- learn, what I had to learn is that, you know, God is, doesn't— um, God only has one standard. His standard isn't heterosexual or homosexual. His standard is holy sexuality. And mm-hmm. uh, and that's what he did for me at Pure Life. You know, he didn't change me so that I'm no longer uh, look at men and, and feel a tug or an attraction, but he's given me a higher standard to live to uh, of sexual purity. That really uh, is where I'm at now. Thank you very much for that, Ed. And uh, thank you for your your transparency. Uh, um, so, just on this question. So, normally I, I ask you know some questions that I should have asked but did not. And uh, you gentlemen s- suggested two questions, and so we'll go into those. Um, uh, can I be in habitual sexual sin and still be still be a follower of Christ? That's a good question, and I would say we have to be careful because no one can tell someone ultimately you're not saved. You know, but Jesus did say, you'll know them by their fruits. Yeah. You know, and I would say if, if someone's life is more characterized by the works of the flesh in Galatians five, than the fruit of the spirit. And if someone's in habitual sexual sin, that would be the case. Hmm. Then I would say there's a good chance that maybe they don't know the Lord. Sure. Someone Hmm. could be a new believer and they're walking through this process and they have a lot of baggage from their past and they're working through it. But we have guys come to our program that have been in sin for decades and they're professing to know Christ. And I would say, if nothing else, it should be, uh, (laughs) I would stand up and take attention, you know, pay attention and listen to the words of, of Paul. He said in first Corinthians six and also in Ephesians five, he lists these different works of the flesh and he, and sexual immorality was at the top of the list. And he said, those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. And he said, don't be deceived. Hmm. So I would say if you're not moving toward repentance and your life is more characterized by the works of the flesh than the fruit of the spirit, then you're probably on the broad road that leads to destruction and not the narrow way that leads to life. Hmm. Ed, any thoughts on that? Uh, well, Ken's exactly right. That's for sure. <laughs> uh, yeah, you know, that's uh, the uh, the vast majority of men that have come into our residential program end up confessing that they really probably weren't saved before they got here. You know, we don't push that agenda or or try and convince them of that that's what they come to on their own though because the bible's pretty clear like if you're involved in some kind of habitual sexual sin you can't enter the kingdom and hmm. and so i would say ken's pretty right about that it is one of the most common questions we get that's why we threw it out there for you <laughs> Sure, for sure. And uh, the and the last one, this was another not an easy one, but you guys suggested it. So is is masturbation a sin? Yeah, that, that's another uh question that we get all the time. So we thought you should probably ask it. <laughs> Uh, and the short answer is yes, masturbation is a sin. You know, I just want to say that clearly because I think that message gets lost and watered down uh, too readily for people today. Uh, it, there are, uh, I think, a number of ways that you can confirm that it's sin uh, from a biblical perspective. Uh, for example, you know, I could talk about uh, the, the sensual lust that's getting fed in someone's life, the the addictive nature of this habit that, that uh, people form, uh, the bad fruit that it produces in their lives Uh, you know there's and then there's that whole element of selfishness uh, that's involved you you know literally masturbation someone is literally having sex with themselves and you know one of the things i usually point out is like like to me that seems like the pinnacle of selfishness you know you take an act that is supposed to be you know god-given to uh, produce a union between a man and his wife and, and a oneness between them and we 
we do it with ourselves, it's like that's the worst thing uh, almost <laughs> I think that we can do with it. Um, and, you know, if someone really wants a more complete answer uh, to the question about masturbation, uh, we actually have a, a YouTube channel, a Pure Life Ministries YouTube channel, or an app for your phone that you can get in any of the uh, usual places. And uh, one of the short videos out there is, is one from our Ask the Counselor series called What Does God Think About Masturbation? And uh, just invite people, if you really want uh, a more complete answer to that question, you can find it there. And I, I guess since I've gone ahead and mentioned YouTube and, and phone apps that I can just mention in closing that that's a great place to find a lot of uh, good, helpful information, free information, uh, a lot of videos. Um, just the, the last one I would suggest uh, as a good starting place for people, it's called 20 Truths That Helped Me in My Battle with Porn Addiction. And Pastor Steve has some great short, um, you know, seven to 10 minute teachings on, on that whole topic. And you say this, those can all be found on YouTube, or are they uh, both on YouTube and app? Yes, uh, either place. We have a Pure Life Ministries phone app or a channel, uh, a YouTube channel that they can access them. For sure. I'll put those links in the um, in the show notes. And so if you want to access it there, they can. Ed and Ken, it's been an honor to spend some time with you today and um, to learn from you and um, to hear your passion for God's word and you hear your passion to care and um, help men um, that are struggling with sexual temptation. Would you pray? We normally end the podcast in prayer. Um, could we? Could one of you or both of you, if you'd like to pray um, in whatever direction you feel led um, for, for our time, to end our time today? I'd be happy to pray. Lord, we do um, just want to thank you, first of all, for uh, Aaron and the podcast and this opportunity. Thank you that you are using him and sending forth words of truth and encouragement uh, that will change and affect lives, Lord, through his labors. Lord, thank you for the, doing that. I pray you will really uh, open doors with this a particular subject, Lord, people who have been maybe afraid to talk about it, afraid to have a discussion with their people, or maybe afraid to actually confront that person they have suspicions about, Lord, that they would have heard something that will prick their heart and, and compel action, compassionate, loving, biblical action, but Lord, don't let it just get swept under the rug, Lord. We don't want to see the enemy continuing to devastate lives and, and destroy people and ministries through sexual sin, Lord, and we're asking you to uphold them uh, and, and bring things into the light that need to be brought into the light while they can still be addressed at the level they're at now, Lord. Don't let them lurk or continue, I pray, Lord. And just, yeah, just wrap this whole episode in your grace, Lord, so that whoever hears it, whatever they get out of it, it's, it's a nugget of grace and wisdom that helps them find you in a deeper, deeper way. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen.